and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and our co-host here, Mr. Gareth Dix. Gareth, how are you? Hey, very good. Really good to be in Wolverhampton a couple of weeks ago. Great conference. Really good time. It's, it's great to have you with us tonight as well on the show. Um, and thank you to all of you guys who came along to the Noah the Gospel Conference at the start of March. Brilliant time. Really good time with uh, Pastor Dia Moodley as well, who came to share. Uh, we will be uploading the content from the conference in the coming weeks. We've got a couple of videos. We've also got a podcast episode that we recorded on the first night of the conference with with dear and i actually think that was the that was my favorite session of the weekend same, actually same here my favorite too i thought it was brilliant i thought it was fantastic like you never know whether things like podcasts are going to kind of come over as a medium live but i felt it really worked I think it is, and I think there's something of having deer with us as well, and and you know you can I, I won't spoil it. You can enjoy it when when we upload it, but he had me in stitches a few <laughs> times. So it's absolutely brilliant. Dear is a wild man. I love him. I'm sure. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, but he is a wild man of the gospel, and uh, very you know very what's the word for it? Very integrous. I love yeah. I love how he follows through not just in believing these truths, but actually living them out and putting them into practice in his ministry. I've got so much time for that. So uh, we, we hope you enjoy it. We will upload those to YouTube and the Dear Moodly episode will be put on the podcast as well. We do actually have a YouTube. I should mention that. We do have a YouTube page. We haven't used it for a while because we've been just doing audio stuff. But um, I will put a link to the YouTube channel in this podcast. So if you are listening through itunes or on soundcloud if you click the notes the link will be posted in there to the channel and those videos will be going up in the coming weeks so thanks for coming along to that uh, event in wolverhampton we do hope that we'll be able to do another one actually towards the back end of the year that's our hope isn't it so uh, <laughs> that'll be amazing yeah hopefully stay, really stay tuned yeah we'll we'll see we'll see so this evening or whenever you're listening to this podcast right now uh, we are going to be discussing the fourth part of our series through the doctrines of grace this time around we're looking at the doctrine of irresistible grace irresistible grace it's a mouthful we've already taken a look at total depravity unconditional election and limited atonement and the next doctrine of course is irresistible grace in the tulip tulip uh, acronym so yeah so this is the subject of conversation this evening another absolute belter of a doctrine so much to get into uh, in this area and again it's another doctrine that divides opinion and and our hope really in doing this series is is not to stir up I guess not to stir up strife, not to stir up division. We really don't want to do that. I don't want to be, and neither does Gareth, want to be uh, causing anybody to get riled up and angry. That's not our heart. Our heart is simply to no. try and lay uh, down these doctrines in a way that's easily easy to understand because we've said time and time again on this show, these doctrines of grace are some of the most misunderstood doctrines in all of Christianity they they're so often misconstrued and I remember when I was I was I wouldn't even have called myself an Arminian I would have said I was a um, now looking back I was probably like semi-Pelagian really <laughs> and um, 
you know, I just didn't understand these doctrines. And so I would very often straw man them and say things like, well, if these are true, then what's the point in evangelism? If God's sovereign, what's the point in praying? Should we just lay back and let God save his elect? You know, I'd throw these arguments out there. And of course, no well-read Calvinist thinks that those kinds of accusations are actually challenging. And so no, my hope is to lay out these doctrines in an easy, under, easy to understand way so that, you know, if you believe these doctrines, praise God, give glory to him for these doctrines. If you don't, then hopefully we've laid them out for you in an easy and clear way to understand so that the next time you have an argument with your Calvinist friend, at least you have the right facts on the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's Same our right. hope. That's our hope. And so the first three <coughs> points of doctrine in the doctrines of grace otherwise known as calvinism although as we've we've said before these five doctrines were not written by calvin um they originated from certainly from some of his writings in, in a clear sense but really they they trace back through the reformers they trace back to men like augustine and of course right back to the new testament and so to call it calvinism really i think yeah, it's bigger than that. But anyway, these, these first three points of the doctrines of grace, total depravity, unconditional election, and, and limited atonement or definite atonement, however you want to put that, what they do is they take the power out of the hand of man, don't they? They, they take yeah, the power out of the hand thing. of man in salvation. They render man powerless to do anything to save himself. Man is totally depraved in the sense that he's totally unable to do anything to please God. He can't have faith sorry in and of himself because every part every part of his being is affected by this thing called sin so even though he may have a functioning will that can uh, choose uh, to do certain things uh, choose to eat an apple or choose to eat a pear um, those choices are determined ulti ultimately by what his heart desires what what his mind wants to do and so the bible says that yeah okay you can have a will that's as free as anything but if your heart is captive to sin and as romans 8 and first corinthians uh, 2 say that the natural man cannot um please god that, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit then even though you may have uh, technically speaking a functional will the problem isn't with the will it's necessarily with the heart it's with the desire um and the will will continually choose to sin and to reject god, to, to, to choose to reject god because of the captivity of the heart so these doctrines put man in his place um they put as i think scripture does i think scripture time and time and time again puts man in his place you know it puts the hand over the mouth as scripture say and it, it causes us to call out upon god you know oh wretched man that i am in in the language of paul in romans 7 um you know and these these doctrines do that they they cause people to look to god for their salvation uh, so again today we're covering another point of doctrine along those same lines so we've we've reached the point now in the doctrines where we have talked about man's total inability to save himself we've talked about god's choosing for himself a people before the foundation of the world we talked about election which is not based on foreseen faith uh, it is based on god's good pleasure as the book of ephesians says we've now talked about the work of christ so we talked about the work of the father uh, we talked about the work of the son in the atonement today we're going to talk about the work of the holy spirit because these doctrines are trinitarian in nature so the doctrine of irresistible grace 
to kick off with is talking about the work of the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So Gareth, I'm going to pass to you. I'm going to pass the ball over to you to just give us a bit more information on both irresistible grace as a doctrine and then also there's another doctrine isn't there the kind of opposing doctrine um that the arminians came up with in the five points of the remonstrance um which actually predates the five doctrines of grace but why don't you give us a bit more information on 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 what this doctrine is all about yeah, so I mean, it's easier to kind of start the other way around. So you kind of start with obstructible grace and kind of work work from there. So to start with, if we were to define obstructible grace, it is that the Arminian further believed that since God wanted all men to be saved, he sent the Holy Spirit to woo all men to Christ. However, since man has absolute free will, he's able to resist God's will for his life. So this is the Arminian order being that man exercises his own free will first and then he's born again. So think about that in itself. So the, the idea is that that you don't have regeneration before faith. You have you exercise your free will and then and then you're born again, as we've already kind of explained right. before. But the Arminian says that he believes that God is uh, omnipotent uh, but having said that, he insists that God's will to save all men can be frustrated by the finite will of man on an individual basis. So essentially the obstructible grace mm. argument from the Arminian is that the, if you like, the, the, the unbeliever can obstruct or right. foil what God wants to do. They're saying that the Holy Spirit can be restricted by man if he chooses. Uh, this is since... You know, they, they believe that since man alone can determine whether he's saved or not. So it comes down to this whole yes. free will argument of yep. it's down to the person whether they're saved. So essentially, this has to assume that God uh, permits man to obstruct his will. In fact, as one theologian put it, Dwayne Edward Spencer, he says, God is willing to be impotent in the face of man's will so that the creature may be as God, just as Satan promised even the garden, which is quite an extreme way of saying it. But he's essentially mm, saying yeah. that you are holding back the Holy Spirit and saying essentially God, God is impotent if, if he comes to someone to save them and they say no. Uh, so that's the kind of arminian argument you can essentially hold the holy spirit back and say no and, and so and that yes and, and i think on a level like the, I, it kind of makes sense doesn't it because of course we we do see people resisting the gospel all the time don't we we yeah you know i preach the gospel most weeks on the streets and um most people's reaction isn't rage it's indifference <laughs> yeah so we, on a, on a level it, it kind of makes sense doesn't it yeah we we do we do resist um the grace of god to a point um but this isn't saying just that there's a rejection it's saying that the essentially in the final analysis that god wants to save people but he can't because certain yeah. people will will ultimately reject uh, his advances that's the kind is that the more or less the kind of position yeah, and in the idea is it's kind of that man's will gets in the way of what God of God's will, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It's kind of like, you know, the creator of all things and and little finite beings are able to say, no, I'm putting up a wall yeah. to God. And yeah. on one level, that might that might appear that way. I mean, we, I won't give away too much because we're going to look a bit later on, particularly at John chapter six. You're going to share with us, but yeah. when you when you look at it from man's point of view. 
it, it yes. looks like um, that man is foiling God's will. Yeah, well, it and, really and, does. And I can, yeah, and it does look that way. So I'm not saying that uh, that anyone who thinks that's stupid, not at all. But I'm saying that from a, from a human level on the ground, it looks a certain way. But if you kind of go up to a satellite view, suddenly you see all the things that you wouldn't see when you're on the ground level. Mm. And I think this is really it. This is kind of ground level stuff. This is kind of well, it appears that man is obstructing God's will because that's what it looks like when someone uh, turns around to you in the street and says, "No, I'm not interested. Go away." Well, that looks like obstructible grace. That looks like you've offered the gospel to them and they've said no because they themselves have exercised their free will to obstruct god yeah and i th- and i think you know essentially my complaint with this doctrine used to boil down to so are you saying that um <laughs> that basically you can't resist god or you can't resist grace because I would then say, well, I resisted grace all the time before I was saved. So how is it true that God's grace is always irresistible? And I think it, it comes down to a definition of terms, doesn't it? Because Yeah, it does. The issue that now being, being reformed in my understanding of these things and understanding this doctrine as being true, I'm not saying that people don't ever reject God because actually naturally speaking we always and only reject god yeah, until until true. we're made alive in the words of peter we're we're always rejecting we always reject the gospel until that point at which we are well we'll get more into this later but until something changes something critical in, inside of us changes we have faith we believe and then we accept and so irresistible grace isn't teaching that mankind is always unable to resist anything to do with god actually the doctrines of grace say that man always and only will reject (laughs) the commands of god the existence of god the claims of god the gospel until until something happens inside of them until there is a sovereign work of the holy spirit which critically changes something within the heart of man until that happens man will always reject and will always resist however when there is an effectual change inside the heart of man and we'll talk later about how this change comes about who are the who are the subjects working behind the scenes to bring about this change until that happens men will reject but when that change occurs that change we will see is beyond the power of man to thwart it's beyond the power of man to put off um, and we'll see why we believe that is the case and why we believe scripture teaches that um, so we aren't saying that people can never reject the gospel because it's clear that they do um, however what we're saying is that that when when the holy spirit chooses to make somebody born again then there is nothing that they can do to change that now we'll get more into that in a moment but gareth i think i'm going to hand back to you now to talk a little bit more on irresistible grace as a doctrine before i talk myself into error (laughs) so no sure no (laughs) well essentially i mean it is really that the calvinist 
replying that the grace of God cannot be obstructive because the Lord possesses irresistible grace. So this doesn't mean that God steamrolls man's obstinate will. Mm. Irresistible, Irresistible grace is grounded in the gift of life. This is regeneration. I was blind, but now I see. And I think a good way of explaining it and we we're going to look at regeneration because this is this is essentially being born again this is having your eyes yeah. opened um we'll look more into that but i would explain it like this imagine that there's a blind person and you're trying to explain to them you know how good it is out in the world you know and, and all the things that they have they've been bl- blind from birth and you're trying to explain to them what it looks like to be on a lake in in you know late spring early summer with all the all the trees and and the grass and the and the blue sky and the birds and all the animals and you explain explaining this just stunning view and they're like it's a load of rubbish don't i can't see it i can't you know that makes no sense to me you know and but you imagine you take them to that very spot and and their eyes are open so they're actually physically healed and their eyes are open they're able to see fully for the very first time yeah they are gonna they are not going to regret opening their eyes are they they're not going to say oh you've ruined my life now i was really enjoyed not being able to see all this stuff they're going to be blown away they're like i see i i see the beauty of creation and really what irresistible grace is about is when god opens the eyes of of the spiritually blind to behold his beauty imagine that the god who created all of this the most beautiful things that you could possibly imagine and the most beautiful things on this earth that we can see of our eyes the most beautiful sunsets the oceans the the countryside the the the, what god's created and we admire and in awe of all of that and yet that's the (laughs) palest imitation of the creator himself so irresistible grace is to be like that blind man who whose eyes are opened and they see for the first time in awe and amazement and they appreciate being able to enjoy what their eyes seeing well irresistible grace is a dead human spirit being brought to life and and this is the thing where people who are dead spiritually they're drawn to satan they're drawn to the works of the flesh that that's why people live in a carnal way because they don't see any value in living for christ but to 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 the irresistible grace is to have your spiritual eyes enlightened and able to see the the, the amazement of what God has done. I love this verse in um, these verses in, in Ephesians 1, 17 to 18, where, it's, where the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation the knowledge in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he is called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints so here it is the the eyes of your heart like that blind man the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you will know what is the hope to which he's called you all of a sudden you've got Mm. eternity as well other to be able to see the new heaven and the new earth and to spend eternity with christ and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints what he's given to us and being sealed with the holy spirit so irresistible grace is is to be handed everything yes uh, and life itself yeah absolutely yeah um in fact i think it's 
you know, it's safe to say that, you know, I, I used to say things like, well, you're saying then that kind of, you know, God gives people this new sight against their will. Is he, are you saying that he forced, and, and I like the way you phrase this because it is biblical language. Unbelief is categorized by Paul in Ephesians 2 and 3 as blindness, isn't it? Yeah. It's deadness and it's also blindness. And so really that the analogy of the blind man is absolutely spot on because it's saying you know that that question of are you saying that god forces salvation on people you know against their will and it's like well actually what we're saying is that he gives sight to a blind person yeah right what blind person is going to say oh, i didn't want you to give me sight yeah. you know? <laughs> we forget that you know man's condition isn't neutral we always default to this idea that yeah. we're not blind we're not dead um we just you know we're in need of some pointers on the best way to live our life now but the bible doesn't talk about humanity that way as we've discussed previously we're dead in our sins and trespasses you know we are we are blind we are sons of disobedience we are following um the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air like we're we're not in a good place and so we're not in a state where we are ever going to choose in and of ourselves god and the things of god Uh, we're blind to those things we can't see them and so we need god to intervene on our behalf so that's what we're talking about and we will go to the canons of dort shall we and um read what article 16 has to say about the effect of regeneration um and then we'll look at some of the ways that the objections to this are handled we'll we'll take a look at some of the scriptures that we feel are are important here because of course you know we can't argue from this we can't argue this point outside of scripture we are um we are absolutely firm in our belief that these doctrines are not coming out of the writings of calvin per se they're coming out of scripture they're coming out of sacred scripture and that's where we need to root them so we'll look at some scriptures um and then also we're going to take a look at some of what the early church fathers had to say on this subject as well um because i think that's always interesting you know scripture trumps the quotes of the fathers however we shouldn't ignore what they have to say either so we'll take a look at some of those later so gareth if you wouldn't mind um reading article 16 for us yeah sure so this is from uh this is from the Counts of dort article 16 god preserves our humanity so it says, man by the fall did not cease to be man, endowed with understanding and will. And sin, which pervades the whole human race, did not destroy the nature of the human race, but depraved it and killed it spiritually. So also the divine grace of regeneration does not act in men as if they were tree trunks or logs, or take away the will and its properties or force it violently and unwillingly. But this grace spiritually enlivens, heals, corrects, and at once sweetly and powerfully moves the will. Where before rebellion and resistance of the flesh fully dominated the will, now the ready and genuine obedience of the spirit begins to rule there. In this, the true spiritual restoration and freedom of our will consists. For this reason, unless that admirable maker of all good acts for us, there is no hope that man would be raised from the fall through free choice. That free choice in which he once stood, rather than plunged him into ruin. Absolutely. Um, And I'm going to read a quote from Jerome uh, at this point as well, who who was around in the uh, fourth century. 
and he says this this is the chief righteousness of man to reckon that whatsoever power he can have is not his own but the lord who gives it see how great is the help of god and how frail the condition of man that we cannot by any means fulfill this that we repent unless the lord first convert us so you see there again conversion comes before repentance i'll carry on when jesus says no man can come to me he breaks the proud liberty of free will for man can desire nothing and in vain he endeavors where is the proud boasting of free will we pray in vain if it is on our own will why should men pray for that from the lord which they have in the power of their own free will i think that's absolutely spot on yeah. and i'm gonna read again um from uh, Justin Martyr, just another quick quote, having some time before convinced us of the impossibility of our nature to obtain life, hath now shown us the Saviour, who is able to save them, which otherwise were impossible to be saved. Free will has destroyed us, we are sold into sin. So again, from those two church fathers, um, we're seeing again the absolute dependency upon God to perform a work in us before we can believe. So f belief doesn't precede the new birth. The new birth gives birth to faith yeah. itself. Absolutely right. And I yes. think that's that, that's one of the key things as well. That it's 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 rebirth. It's uh, it's an opening of eyes of the blind. It's something that God does, not something that we do. Which makes sense of when we see it from a supernatural point of view. Which I think so so often we're looking at it from a naturalist point of view, and that's why it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. I think that's it. And um, we 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 often just look at it from that mechanical sense. I remember like years ago. Um, in my former church i remember kind of asking some of the older guys to help me out in some of my reading you know they were saying to me you know because at the time i was like massively into bethel um and i i basically just only read books by bethel people um and i was reading bill johnson and chris fallerton and all these names and one of the guys in the church said to me you need a systematic theology book and i said oh well which one should i get and he said by wayne grudem systematic theology so i i went ahead and bought wayne grudem's systematic theology i've still got it here on my shelf and i began to read it um avidly and i i sort of poured over it for especially these doctrines about um, how we have faith I, I think i was preparing for a message on sunday and i read in there that that the new birth that regeneration preceded faith <laughs> and i yeah. thought hey wait a minute we don't actually believe that do we uh, and so I, I went to this um, older elder um, in the church and I said, um, you know that book that you recommended I buy? That book says that regeneration precedes faith, that we don't believe until God makes us born again. I said, but but we don't believe that, do we? And he said, no, we don't believe that. <laughs> he said, we, we believe that faith brings about the new birth. I said, yeah, that's what we believe. But why does he say differently? So... This is it, isn't it? I mean, the, the, yeah. this, it, it, that was just my intuition. That's what I thought because my first, you, as a Christian, you're you're often aware of your faith before you're aware of a, ch a change or the fruit of your regeneration in your life. But the Bible clearly says that um, without faith, you cannot please God. It talks about right. these us being dependent on God for new life. Um, 
you know jesus even says to nicodemus you must be born again um so the new birth is what actually gives rise to faith but we don't experience it always that way we don't have a kind of a pilot light that goes on on our chest that says you have been born again no Um, the first fruit of our new birth is that we repent and believe uh that is the evidence of our new birth rather than the cause of our new birth Um, and that's a really critical doctrine to understand no that's absolutely right and i think as we move to um defining grace because i think this is a a key thing as well is understanding that uh, the the greek word charis is unmerited favor so grace is something that god does for us and grace by definition is a gift otherwise it wouldn't be grace it's the whole thing if if you had to work for it it's not grace is it no and yet there's something at the heart of the human psyche where we want to try and work to please god and i think a big part of that is our fault obviously our fallen nature but i think a big part of that is that we're so used to having to win the approval of others and you know often we don't often people don't accept one another as they are you have to kind of prove yourself to people you have to win their favor or or affection or whatever and so we kind of a, a attribute that to you know having to please god we think that we have to we impress him of our own will and so this idea that that works earns reward but if the wages of sin is death then our good works can never outweigh our sins so therefore we cannot win god's favor so this is a key thing in understanding that this is grace of god and that's where in romans 4 verses 4 to 5 Uh, The Apostle Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So that makes sense of if you you work, then, then you get a reward. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So righteousness is faith that's given to us as a gift. And so then it kind of moves into the territory where we've already been before of of God actually giving the gift of salvation to us, the gift of, of faith itself, so that so yeah. that we can't boast in any of this. And this this is the, the second thing that I think we want to talk about this evening is 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 how grace is absolutely key in this as well it's something that god does because if if we were able to use our free will then that's actually uh, we've done something towards our salvation if if i had to sort of exercise my free will to receive faith or 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 to be if you like born again you know i I did something first before god then enabled me to be born again yeah to merit it i i I can honestly say that's the best decision that i made yes and i get the glory for that because it was me that did it I, i i i just got up one morning and think i need to do better put my faith in christ and then and then um i get all the glory and that's at the heart of it it's so man-centered when you actually think about it it is and no no christian whether they're calvinist arminian or whatever in between no christian actually talks like that but functionally that's what their beliefs add up to when it comes to this augustine actually said quote faith itself is to is to be attributed to god faith is made a gift these men however attribute faith to free will so grace is rendered to faith not as a gratuitous gift but as a debt they must cease from saying this so augustine said this just as you have right there is that those who believe that faith is an act of free will they are actually saying that grace is rendered to faith 
not as a gift but as a debt because they are owed it they're owed salvation because they made they did the right work and the augustine says they must cease from saying this because the, the like you say that the, the biblical witness about grace is that it's free um that it is rooted not in things that we do now as in the law but rather in the free grace of god um, in his election before the foundation of the world according to his good pleasure um, and i think as well it's worth saying that this this doctrine that we're talking about this kind of inward working of the holy spirit this isn't kind of mysticism um this isn't us kind of like tacking stuff onto scripture to try and make our uh, doctrine hold together but it appears in the old testament as well as the new so it's not just something that's that's written about in in the new as we will get to shortly but it's also something that was promised to the covenant people of god in the old testament because of course we can't detach the work of christ can we we can't detach the no. work of christ the messiah from the covenant people of god in the old testament it, you know the work of the messiah only makes sense in context of the whole flow of scripture and in in the book of jeremiah in chapter 31 and verse 34 we all know this passage but now when we come to this doctrine this just becomes so clear what the lord is saying here after years yeah. and years and years of the covenant people of god being uh, under the law which is is a wonderful thing to be chosen as god's holy people and set apart and given his laws so often we have such a negative view of that covenant of works the covenant of law because um we know that they failed but still what a pleasure to have been chosen um as god's nation and given those laws but they failed didn't they time yeah, and time and time again they rebelled they apostatized they fell away um and god had to draw them back sometimes through sending legions of armies against them to destroy them uh, sometimes through pestilence sometimes through um curses whatever it was god would have to bring them back and in jeremiah 31 33 there's a there's a, a look see ahead into the future into the new covenant of grace and he says this for this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord i will put my law within them and i will write it on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sin no more and then yeah. again another prof another prophet in the old testament is looking ahead to this new covenant of grace in ezekiel 36 27 it says and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you and i'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and sorry and yeah a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you no longer external no longer just placed upon one prophet or upon one king but i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules so even in the old testament there is a foreshadowing of this new covenant that's going to come whereby man is no longer just simply given a list of presets the law and is then sent prophets who are anointed by the holy spirit to direct them towards the law but actually god will send his spirit upon all flesh all of his covenant people all of his chosen people will receive 
a new heart of flesh that is responsive and God will put his spirit within them and even cause them to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey my rules and in the Hebrew there's there's almost like a poetic flow to that passage of scripture it's more poetic in the Hebrew than in the English I find and every verb relates to God he's the one doing all the actions and we are the ones having the actions done to us as we have now been grafted in to the covenant people of God through grace and so I just find that so powerful this always talking about what God will do it's a work of the spirit and the work of the spirit is that we are being given a new new heart which is responsive to God and we are actually being caused by the spirit to walk in God's statutes where before in the old covenant we were commanded to walk in those statutes now we're being caused to walk in those statutes and to obey his laws isn't that wonderful so that's what we're talking about it's a sovereign work of grace that happens supernaturally in our hearts and it's a work of grace that gives us the power to please God <laughs> that, Isn't that that's wonderful? the amazing thing. That's yeah. the amazing thing, and I think that that's the thing we need to keep it, keep in mind the whole whole way through. Is that it, it's a a work of God, a wonderful work of God, a sovereign act of God's grace. Um, and I think within that, I just want to just briefly think about what irresistible grace is not, because I think we've kind of yeah. hinted at, at that. And irresistible grace is not, uh, if you like, a a violation of the will. No. And I'm just going to read a quote from here. Uh, one author, he wrote a book called Saving the Reformation by Robert Godfrey, and this is based on the canons of Dort. And he says, As the canons stress the powerful and effective action of God in regeneration, so this article, this is Article 16 we read out, this article makes clear that the objects of grace remain truly and fully human. The saving work of God in no way violates the personal character of mm. the human will. And he goes on to say, as some put it, the Calvinist view of regeneration is no rape of the will as some might uh, rather coarsely argue neither the understanding nor the will of man is ignored or bypassed in the work of god by grace the human nature is renewed enlivened and sweetly moved as grace renews the mind and will the mind and will rejoice in the goodness of what they are receiving the liberation from blindness and rebellion um, is is freedom indeed as as we used at the beginning the example of a blind man yeah. And he then goes on to say, by contrast, the freedom of the will proclaimed by the Arminian is an illusion and a deception. Their kind of freedom is what led Adam to the fall into sin. The freedom we need is renewal and preservation in grace. Hmm. Sinners have no freedom to choose God. God must choose and act for them. That's that's Robert Godfrey. So essentially that the the, the what irresistible grace is not is God violating your free will. That, that's no. not what it is. In fact, the theologian R.C. Sproul, he says, God's grace is resistible in the sense that we can, uh, uh, that we can and do resist it. Yes. But it's irresistible in the sense that it, it achieves its purpose. It brings about God's desired effect. And Sproul goes on to say that he likes to call it effectual grace. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, you know obviously it's irresistible grace because we want it to fill in the acronym TULIP, but you could call it effectual grace. Yeah. It, it, it does what it needs to achieve and that is that God opens the eyes of the blind so that's essentially what, what it's not yeah that's it and I think Jesus makes it 
kind of pretty clear um, how it works in John chapter six, which we'll go to. I think that, you know, the the names of these doctrines, uh, they fit the acronym TULIP. It's all nice and tidy, but actually, like, they're not necessarily the best title heads for no, the doctrines. The of, you don't need to call them those. And maybe they are actually the most accurate terms for what's actually in the doctrines themselves. Um, but the point being is that this doctrine is supporting the efficacious work of the Holy Spirit. What it's saying is that the Holy Spirit will not fail in appropriating the work of Christ to the elect people of God who have been foreordained for salvation. We talked about this, I don't know how, how many times we've gone to this text, but in Romans 8, we will look at this again and we will see uh, together the work of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God. Romans 8, um, verse 29 Um for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So there we have again God's foreknowledge. This yep. is not a basic intellectual knowledge of future events. This foreknown throughout scripture relates to his free love, his free love towards his people. Those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, this is talking about an effectual call, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified so if you trace this thread this golden chain of redemption back those who are in the end glorified will be those who have been justified yep. and those who have been justified will be those who have been called okay actually in time called to salvation those who have been called will have been those who were predestined so the predestination of god naturally and effectually leads to the call of God on their life and the call of God on their life naturally leads to the justification on their life that justification naturally leads to their glorification okay so we have that golden chain of redemption there's no drop-off and so what no. we're talking about here is the effectual work of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing what he set out to do and that is to redeem God's elect to actually apply the salvific work of Christ on the cross to the elect people of God and our question is is God going to fail at his work the yeah. Holy Spirit course is not. he yeah. actually going to fail to do what he set out to do is Christ's work of intercession before the Father on behalf of his people going to fail is Jesus not going to get his prayer answered at the end of the day he's interceding for the souls of actual individuals we read this in John 17 uh, we read about this in the book of Hebrews we know he's a priest who goes into that place beyond the veil in the holy of holies he brings the blood of his sacrifice on the cross before the father okay he is the lamb of god is are we really to believe that he's going to bring his blood before the father and intercede for his people and the father is going to say sorry jesus i'm trying as hard as i can but these people are so hard-hearted i yeah. just can't override their unbelief that's a quote from stephen furtick 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he it's, says, it is, yeah. Even God can't override your unbelief. That's heresy. That's that heresy. Is. Because if God can't override our unbelief, we're all damned to hell because we're all born into a natural state of unbelief. Anyway, we'll take a look now at what Jesus has to say about this in John 6. Because for me, you know, this passage is a really important one uh, for this whole discussion. Jesus is discussing... Um, He's debating, really, uh, with a bunch of Jews who've come over and they're wanting to talk to him. He's, he's fed the 5,000. At this point, he's, he's having a debate with them. And they, they come over to him and he says to them in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, that for me is the two sided coin of the sovereignty yeah. of God and the free choice of man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. For me, it's just a catch all. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me. Well, what's that? That's election. Yeah. The Father is giving to Jesus Christ a people. All that the Father gives me will come to me very forceful not might not may not perhaps will not if they feel like it will but will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out because the the objection i always used to have was and i think many struggle with this it it, it would be well look what if i really want to be a christian if i really want to go forward the altar call i want to give my life to jesus but i'm not on the list you know, we have that image, don't we, of the of the, yeah. the nightclub. The nightclub, we come up to the door, we're trying to get in on the guest list. It's Graham Phillips. I'm sorry, sir, the name's not on the list. But it, it's got to be. It, I'm, you know, I'm here. My friend told me I was going to be on the list. I'm sorry, I've checked the list. You're not on it. You can't come in. We have that nightmare, whereas Jesus says, listen, all who come to me with real faith and yeah. real repentance, I will never cast out. And then he says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the Father has an intention in salvation the father has a purpose and this is the will of him who sent me that i should lose nothing of all that he's given me again we're being referred back to that phrase in verse 37 all the father gives me these are people these are a people of god he says i will lose nothing of all that he's given me but raise it on the last day so we really to believe that at the end of the day god is going to gamble God is actually going to gamble on losing his elect people because he wants to give them some kind of notional freedom to reject his grace. Jesus doesn't seem to agree with that. He says, listen, I'm not going to lose any, nothing of all that he's given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And I'll just continue for a few more verses and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last yep. day. <laughs> he's having a little bit of a dig at these people that they're, they're, they're questioning him who are you 
you're just you're just the carpenter's son. We know who you are. He says, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And that word there for draws, that's a Greek, a Greek word, hekluo, hekluo. And actually, that's the same word used for when, you know, when the disciples are out fishing and they can't haul the nets in. He says they couldn't haul it <coughs> into the boat. That's hekluo again. And it can mean to draw or it can mean to haul or drag, right? So I know yeah. I, I quite like that idea because sometimes I like to think that God has to drag me. And yeah. <laughs> no one can come to me unless the father who sent me drags him. Uh, <laughs> that's one um, to dwell on. But but draws him, draws him up in the net of salvation, you know, brings him up. Again, there's a dependency on God to actually bring us to a place of salvation. We don't have the power within us or the will within us to be saved until he changes something in us gives us a new heart of flesh changes something within us and makes us born again that's absolutely right and this is i think this leads on to the, the problem with obstructible grace and, and that is really it. The, the the arminian insisting that the finite will of man can thwart the perfect will of god but the problem as we've seen with this is that if god can be obstructed by human free will then the holy spirit himself is rendered impotent i was saying that the god doesn't have the power uh to impart life and it's the pleasure of the sinner to reject christ and the drawing of the spirit of god as you've already said that actually god draws people to christ in fact a bit earlier on before that um, passage you're looking at in john 6 in the previous chapter john 5 verse 21 jesus says for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will Ah, a theme we see a lot through john don't we we see uh, john chapter 3 that famous verse and this uh, the uh, the wind blows where it pleases so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit this is something that 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 the holy spirit does yeah and and nowhere in the bible does it say that a man chooses eternal life of his own free will as you've as you've already mentioned all that the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out so this is this is the, about the will of god yeah uh, and the will of god is is key in all this i, I particularly like this verse in in daniel chapter 4 verse 35 where it says of god that he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done yeah as if as if humanity is able to thwart what god wants to do and i think also the other problem with obstructible grace is is that we have to recognise that man is a third-rate power and can't resist Satan. So we've got God as the as the first-rate power, if you like, Satan as the second-rate power, and man as the third-rate power. And we can't even resist Satan. Mm. Uh, so, you know, as it says in um, it says in, in 2 Timothy, and, and uh, he's talking about repentance and, and that the Lord would bring them to their senses so that they'd escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will so a a, um, a human a fallen human has been captured by the devil to do his will and if anyone says well I, i i don't think that's true i say well think about all the things you wanted to do before you were a christian yeah I mean, we, we can all do this. Like, we, you know, our desires, what our, our ambitions, everything that we wanted to do before we were saved were utterly in line with the world and, and the enemy and, and the flesh. And, you know, we were bound by carnality in that sense. Even our religious and, activities. 
Yeah, everything was it was works based. It was it, even our religious activities. Was, I go to church. I've I've been good. I've been attending church. So I've got God in my debt now. He needs to give me the stuff I want. Yeah, I'm a minister. I preach every week in week out, and you know I'm doing this job for God, and so therefore He owes me one. Yeah, and it's and it's and and when you when you stop and think of it like that, it's absolutely shocking. I'm sure we've all fallen into that trap, but. That there's this idea that that we can get God into our debt, we can carry His favour, and but the rea- the reality in all this is that Satan controls the lost, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians that in Ephesians chapter two that before you were saved, and as I mentioned, thinking about what you were like before you were Christian, and Paul says that you followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's very clear, isn't it? You followed the prince of the power of the air. Yeah. You followed Satan. You didn't follow Christ. You followed Satan. This is another thing that I think people need to understand, particularly uh, Christians and those who perhaps have a, a rather shallow faith or an easy believism there's nothing neutral in all this no you're either following the prince of the power of the air or you're following christ you're following someone you're a slave to someone and you're either a a slave to uh, satan and sin and death or you're a slave to christ you're either following the prince of the power of the air or you are following uh christ there's there's no middle ground there's no no neutral ground a man cannot come to, to to Christ because he's bound by Satan. He's captured by Satan to do his his will. And I love this this story we see uh, in um, Acts with uh, Lydia. And it says there's a uh, at sixteen it says there's a woman called Lydia, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said mm. by Paul. Uh, and I'd want to ask the question to Arminians. Sorry, can you just tell me who opened Lydia's heart? Yes. <laughs> did, did, did Lydia open her heart and say a prayer and ask Jesus into her heart? Or did the Lord open her heart so that she was able to pay attention to what was said by Paul? Because this is another thing that, again, people don't realise. But this is this this is huge, right? Yeah. It says here, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I can tell you that if, if, if you're someone who has got no attention for wanting to listen to things of God, if you're someone who cannot stand more than 10 minutes of preaching, I'd say there's a very high chance you're not a Christian. Yes. I'll be confident enough to say, if you can't cope with more than 10 minutes of preaching, I would... I'd say nine times out of ten you're not a Christian or a very very mature one or a very very shallow Christian yeah if there's no hunger for God's word whatsoever then that's something you really need to take seriously and that is it's because like you say either you aren't a Christian or you're very very shallow in your faith because I've seen this in my in my own ministry where I, I've I went to one particular church where I was supposed to be doing a plant a church plant this was a Calanglo Catholic church I went in there and I you know I was all robed up and everything and I I, I preached for like 20 minutes expounded the scriptures I wasn't wearing a chasuble in case anyone's listening is just worrying I was just wearing traditional <laughs> just sort of ordination robes it's kind of traditional but I preached for 20 minutes, just expanded the scriptures, and there was uproar amongst all of all of the you know the parishioners in that church. You preached from 20 for 20 minutes and you kept talking about the Bible. <laughs> and then there were some of my friends who came along with me who said, Oh, you need to preach for longer next time. Try and push it to 30 minutes. I'm like, you know, have you any idea how much how how controversial <laughs> that's gonna be? Because the point is you've got a whole bunch of people who are not saved, they're dead in their sins, they don't want to hear about the Bible. You, oh, you, you talk you talk for too long from the Bible. We don't want that we just want to take communion and and say that we've done our good deed for the day and 
we've done our religious acts, we've taken communion, therefore we're going to heaven because we've done something. The sacrament is my work to get salvation. Yeah. And that is the key thing that someone who's not saved is not going to is not going to want the word of God. They are they're going to be bored. They're going to be, you know, offended, whatever it is. They're not going to want it. Whereas we see with with Lydia that mm. The Lord opened her heart, that the, the actually her heart opened so that as Paul's preaching, instead of just sort of thinking, oh, what's this guy going on about? I'm so <laughs> bored. Or getting really offended and thinking, who does this guy think he is? And I'm a good person. Uh, she she paid attention to what was said. And, and she was a, a, a born-again believer. And this is why I think... You know, if you're listening to this and you're, you know, you're, you're someone in ministry and you preach, whatever, uh, I'd say that, you know, this is the thing. We need to have permission to preach the word for a decent amount of time. Because as you and I as, as pastors understand that there is that sort of pressure on us to kind of cut it short. Yeah. You know, get the message down. And within reason, I mean, I'm not going to stand up and preach for an hour if the congregation is, you know, not wanting you to preach for an hour. There are limits, of course, but um, I know our friend Dear, I think he preaches for an hour 15 and <laughs> I, would I would listen to him for an hour 15. Yeah, you know, I would, I would sit there and, and soak it up because, well, what else are you going to do on the Lord's day other than yeah. sit and listen to the word of God? And I understand that, you know, if some people don't want to sit for an hour's preaching and I get that, but the preaching should be, I'd say at the very least, half an hour, 40 minutes. And I hear this more and more, maybe this is just my own little little rant, but honestly, I've become more and more aware of the fact that people are now talking about how actually preaching isn't that important and yeah, we, don't, yeah. we don't need to be preaching for that long. And to me, that is a sign of a church that's lost its love of God. Yeah. No, I, I believe so. I believe so. I think, you know... <laughs> Preaching is a bit of worship, isn't it? I think that's been forgotten. I think that um, people have misunderstood what it's all about. I've heard this said before, you know, I, I don't come to church to sit and listen. Yeah. You know, or, they, or that's not what the early church was about. You know, in the early church, they didn't just sit and listen. Yeah. And I'm like, have you read the scripture about where Paul preached in an upper room and a boy fell out of a <laughs> window because he went on yeah. so long? You know, like, <laughs> I think um, we forget, actually, that, that teaching and preaching in the church has always been a part of the ministry of worship. It's not... Um, a passive activity it's active you're engaging your heart you're asking the lord to open your heart just like he did with lydia um and we should be glorying in these truths and i think like you said i, th I think it's a real sign of ill health in the church that people can't put up with a 15 20 minute sermon from the scriptures anymore yeah. um they they love to hear testimonies don't get me wrong they love to hear testimonies they love to hear stories of breakthrough and healing but sitting down in front of a 45 minute biblical sermon they start falling asleep yeah yeah <laughs> and so i think you know there's that we need to be praying don't we we need to be praying and i think you know my hope is that people will begin to glory in the word of god again and that's what's actually going to be a, a real important constituent part of revival should it happen you know um is that people actually glory in the word of god again they glory in these truths they don't see them as kind of like tidbits for the theologians in ivory towers and i think that's often how people see doctrine they think well it's not my preserve i'm just an average christian that i've got no business thinking about irresistible grace or whatever you know leave that to the theologians and i'd say poppycock what a bunch of yeah, nonsense right these things are the inheritance of the saints these things are fuel for your worship fuel for your fire it's going to put you in your place it's going to put your hand over your mouth to realize that oh my goodness everything about my christian walk i owe to god 
I owe to him. I didn't do it. It wasn't down to me positioning my heart in a particular way and therefore putting God in my debt. This is all down to his grace. I think time and time again, that's what scripture does. It gets us to put our hand over our mouths. I love this passage in Acts 13. Acts 13, 48. Paul has um, preached the gospel. Paul and Barnabas have, have, have preached the gospel. And they say, um, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of an eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As yeah. many as were appointed. That word tetagmenoi in the Greek can be translated as many as were <coughs> fixed to eternal life. As many as were determined to eternal life. As many as were appointed to eternal life. How much clearer can you get? Our faith is not a result of our free will. It's a result of the grace of God. It's actually rooted not in ourselves, but in the electing love of God, in him choosing us before the foundation of the world, just out of his good pleasure. And it's the Holy Spirit that works that in us. And I'm going to read a quote from Athanasius, who said, To believe is not ours or in our power, but the Spirit's who is in us and abides in us. I love that. To believe is not ours, nor in our power, but it's the Spirit who is in us and abides in us. So our very belief in God, our very faith in God is actually a property, not of our own, but of the Holy Spirit who abides within us. That's what we're talking about today. That's what we're preaching. That's an irresistible grace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in actually <coughs> appropriating <coughs> the work of Christ on the cross. And I, I think actually, when I was in a, a previous church which didn't preach these things, there's a great story by, um, it was the evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke, right? And he said, you know, people say, well, you know, if, if, if God's sovereign, then, you know, you, you don't need to worry about evangelism. People will just get saved. They just, you know, they just will. You don't need to do anything. And, and he would respond and say things like, well, you know, if there's soap in your shower, and you walk into that shower every day, but you just look at that soap. It's present, but it's not going to clean you unless you pick the thing off the shelf and wash yourself with it. It's only those who actually appropriate the soap and wash that will become clean. The presence of the soap itself does nothing. And he's right. The, the bit where people misunderstand is that the very work of picking up the soap and washing yourself with it, the Bible says belongs to the holy spirit it's him yep. that gives you the power to do that you don't have that power it's god that does that in you and that's what makes salvation supernatural that's why we preach this gospel that's why we glory in this gospel not because we actually believe men have the power to do these great signs and wonders we believe the bible says god does these things and it's to his glory romans eleven thirty six: for from him and through him and to him are all things to god be the glory amen Amen. Well, that's where we're going to park it, unless you've got anything else to add to that, Gareth. I don't know if you do. Well, closing thoughts. I, I think really the the beauty of irresistible grace is, as we said, it, it recognizing who Christ is and who we are, and and really just uh, I think as, as you were just talking about how 
when we hear the preaching and when we hear the things of God, we should be drawn to those things. And I, I think one of the things I just want to close with is I wonder what is it that is actually really drawing us? What's irresistible to us? Mm. Uh, because there's so many distractions, you know, in the world. There's We can sit in front of the television for hours. We can, you know, uh, be, on, be on our devices and whatever it might be. But is there a hunger to spend time with God? Is there a hunger to spend time in his word? Is there a desire for him? Because I think really quite often people will say to me, probably to you as well as a pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Am I really saved? And Mm. very often it's just a lack of assurance. They are saved. They just lack the assurance. But I think a good way that you can actually practically work out whether you have got the Holy Spirit living in you, whether you are born again, is do I hunger for the things of God? Do I see kind of television and all distractions as oh, a bit dull not really fussed um i can take it or leave it but what you can't resist is picking up your bible you can't resist reading scripture you can't resist listening to the word of god preached uh, whether that's in your local church uh, where, where, where we need to be as as members of a church of a local church first and foremost but also when you're listening to preachers online when you're being built up your hunger and desire there's an insatiable hunger for the things of god rather than the things of the world and i think that yeah. is so the sort of practical application of irresistible grace is that there is a hunger for god that's in us all the time uh, that we that he is irresistible to us throughout our lives day to day it's not just something that happened once and irresistible grace boom and now i'm just utterly depressed and disillusioned with everything life is tough but actually at the bottom of it all there needs to be that desire for god that hunger for him amen to that guys thanks for listening in uh, we hope this has been of help to you uh, we will be concluding our series on the doctrines of grace next time around with a, a look at the perseverance of the saints keep an eye out for the uploads from the Noah the gospel conference and if you're listening in regularly and being encouraged you know please do share it with other people uh, we always just want to be of service to the church of christ uh, in the uk and beyond and uh, until next time god bless you and solely deal gloria take care god bless